Hello, welcome to the Dear Writer podcast. I'm Sarah. And I'm Ashley. We're two aspiring collaborative authors sharing our writing journey with you. The ups, the downs, and everything in between. Whether you're just starting out or a more experienced writer, we hope that you'll find this podcast inspiring and thought-provoking. And here's the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to Dear Writer. Today we are recording episode 72, which is another one of our craft episodes. We get to talk all about the writing craft and how to how to write, generally speaking. <laughs> that went well. It should be interesting. We're going to be talking about yes. villains, which I'm really excited about. And I feel I'm like we so might excited. go on a lot of tangents, but it's fine. I love developing villains, so this will be fun. But before we get into all of that, uh, we should give you guys a brief update on where our writing is at this month. So how is it going, Ish? Good. (laughs) (laughs) Hesitant, good. No, so last time I had finished one of my chapters, I haven't written any more chapters, but I have been doing some writing anyway. So I think I mentioned that I'd started writing a short story for an anthology that we're doing with our Auckland writing group. So I managed to finish that, which I was actually really proud of because as you may have seen from one of my blog posts, I am I'm not a short story writer, although I have written one now. I had never written short stories really ever. I'd always thought I was my writing style wasn't really suited to that. And they always have such deep themes. And I kind of put a lot of pressure on myself when I, whenever I try to write short stories to have like all these like layers of themes and have it all literary, which just isn't me. But this one, I, I, I got made something I was happy with. So that's good. It was interesting. Interesting experience, I guess. Yep. I also had started a new job in the past couple of weeks. So that's been taking up a lot of my time, just figuring out new routines and things Um, and it's a lot more computer based as well so I've been kind of getting used to that having like computer all day at work and then coming home and being like oh my gosh I have to write so that's been an interesting challenge but I'm feeling a lot more settled now so I'm looking forward to getting lots of work done like writing work done this weekend what about you Sarah yeah so I have actually been productive this month unlike (laughs) last month so I finally managed to finish the Simon chapter I was working on. And after being asked by one of the lovely people in Ashley's writing feedback group, which I have semi-joined, <laughs> I also wrote a short story for the same anthology. And I've written short stories before, but for a bit of a challenge and something different, I decided to attempt a different genre and dabbled in creating a horror story. So it wasn't filled with gore. I feel like everyone or people who don't read horror stories expect horror stories to be filled with gore, but in actual fact, a lot of them aren't. Like those are more, they're more like slasher stories than horror Mm -hmm. stories. Anyway, so I decided to, because it's for a general audience, I decided to lean more heavily on creating the emotion of dread rather than disgust. But I liked the outcome of it, and I was surprised how technical horror writing is (laughs) and how you need to build the suspense. I felt like you had to build it like one, two steps of suspense forward and then one step like easing back and like relax. Right. 
two steps forward, easing back, relax, <laughs> like yeah. just build on it, like slowly and slowly. And the word choices that you had to make were like very specific. Like you'd be like, oh, that doesn't quite fit. No, that's not quite building the feeling that I want. And like, it, it was quite technical, really. So I thought it turned out really well, <laughs> um, your suspense building. I think it, it did work out quite well, but it was interesting how much I had to think about the actual technical aspects of writing mm-hmm. for that genre. So any horror writers out there, I do applaud you. I'm sure it comes more naturally with time, but I, <laughs> I did feel like I was like consciously making decisions on like how to move the story forward and how to make it feel creepier and points and how to like keep the readers engaged and mm-hmm. so it was an interesting challenge yeah I can see that I was like mine was also a different genre as well so I was kind of just interesting it was interesting just experimenting one in a different format in a short story and two with a different genre so it was it was good yeah yeah a good experience overall but though I'm looking forward to going back to what I'm used to <laughs> a little bit I'm, to be honest, not, <laughs> but that's because I've got, I have three more Simon chapters to write in the Ancient Greece book, and I'm very excited to get to the end of his chapters because I, I don't gel well with Simon. <laughs> <laughs> He's been a challenge all the way through this book. We'll get there eventually, but. Yeah. Well, hopefully yes. having like a big block of his will help. Yes. Yeah. Maybe it will. The last one went easier than I expected, so hopefully. Anyways, we should probably move on to our main discussion of crafting the perfect villain. Oh, yes. Been looking forward to this ever <laughs> since <laughs> I wrote the outline. So I was like, oh, what should we talk about? Said, oh, villains. Yes, please. So, so the villain or the bad guy in your story is a really critical element of any writer's piece of work. Some would say they are even as important as your protagonist, given they play such an important role in your story. So I thought before we get into probably, you know, massive rabbit hole about villains, we should just quickly define what a villain is so we're all on the same page. Okay, so the definition of a villain from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, which our you, favorite dictionary, yeah, know <laughs> that we love, is a character in a story or play who opposes the hero. And so in other words, they are the antagonist of your story. You may have heard them called the one whose actions go against your protagonist. Yes. So often, but not always, writers choose to portray them in contrast to the protagonist for a lot of reasons, which we'll get into. And they're usually the ones that end up committing those um, sometimes cruel or immoral acts that kind of get your story rolling, which is always exciting. So I thought jumping from that, we could talk about why villains are so important uh, to your story. Sarah, do you want to go first? Sure. So the villain is largely what creates the conflict in your story. And it doesn't even need to be an actual person or creature, but it can even be the environment which is considered the villain. So, I mean, I think in terms of us moving forward, we're mainly talking about people because that tends to be mostly who and what the villain ends up being in most stories. Yeah. But just keep that in mind that it does not actually need to be a person because it can also be 
other elements that are working against your protagonist. So if the villain isn't crafted well enough, um, no matter who or what the villain may end up being, then the conflict in the story will also fall flat. And your protagonist needs this conflict to be able to undergo their own character arc. And without conflict, your character won't learn anything. The whole story kind of falls apart because the protagonist no longer has a purpose and you can't reveal any sort of theme to the reader, which this is why, in my opinion, villains are so important to the overall plot, just because they do create that conflict. And I don't know if you've heard it before, but if your book doesn't have conflict, you don't really have a story. (laughs) No, or at least you'd have a pretty boring story at that. Yes. So how about you, Ashley? Well, for me, given, well, Sarah and I've always mentioned that we love character quite a lot. I think one of the, one, yes, the villain provides conflict. Like you gave a really good description of Sarah. But I also think it's so important to highlight elements of your protagonist as well. So one, giving them one, a chance to undergo some sort of character development, but also two, it really puts the, I guess, strengths and weaknesses of your character at the forefront. So if you've constructed your villain really well, you should be able to also then see your hero or protagonist really well as well from the difference between the two, which I always like. You, you always like when you can like see similarities or you can see differences and you know, it really brings those things to life. So that's what I think is quite important, an important role that villains play. Definitely. So I also think it's really important to craft your villain really well as well. So you want to make your villain as compelling as possible because ones that aren't convincing just fall flat and, you know, your reader's going to become disengaged. So for me, I think the, you know, the creepiest villains are the ones that have that plausibility that they could actually exist. Um, Yes, they're fictional, but you can kind of imagine them coming into being. So this kind of gets into the whole thing about characters being just evil for no real reason and how often when you're a reader, you're like, I don't really get this because there's no way a person is just evil because they're evil. Mm -hmm. And the last thing you want to do is put readers off or have them disengage with your work. So I think that can be, um, you know, an important thing as well when we're talking about villains in your novel. And like I said before, you know, your villains are really supposed to help show and reveal the characteristics of your protagonists. And if you haven't crafted your villain well enough, it's not going to reveal the sort of key character changes or character growth that you want. What do you reckon? Yeah, yeah. I definitely think that they need to be very realistic. If you have like a very shallow description of your villain and a very shallow thought of how your villain is kind of interacting in the larger world, then I feel like it just doesn't reach the readers as deeply as what it could. And then that in itself lowers the stakes as well because your readers are just like, well, why why should I care? Because, you know, this villain, he's just your run-of-the-mill guy that's evil. Guy. evil. <laughs> the Mohaha guy with like his fingers together. You know, it kind of puts readers off and then the stakes also end up kind of falling flat and it doesn't make you scared for your protagonist at all. I definitely agree. 
I, I just, I always love, even though I've already said this once, I'm going to say it again. I love the one villains where you're like, oh, that's so creepy because it could be real. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> you can like imagine how this person, you know, could become that. And you're like, oh, makes me uncomfortable, but I like it. Definitely. So I thought for the next part of our discussion, we could just briefly talk about some of the characteristics of compelling villains. So I'll kind of like mention it's about three characteristics and I think we'll just talk about them sort of generally and see where the conversation takes us. So for the first one, I thought we could talk a little bit about how important the, like the strength of the relationship between the villain and the protagonist is. This can be quite an interesting dynamic in your novel. Sarah? So I'm going to kind of bring it back to what I said first about villains providing conflict. And I feel that the stronger the relationship between the protagonist and the villain, um, the more intense the conflict will be. And the relationship doesn't always have to be a personal relationship to create this. In many books, the overarching villain also has a number of minions who provide conflict while still creating mystery around the real villain and their motives. And I feel like this can be helpful in longer series where you want to slowly ramp up the conflict Mm -hmm. as the series progresses, getting kind of closer and closer to the man behind the curtain, if we call him that. (laughs) Yeah. And we kind of use this approach more in our teen fiction books. Yeah. In our ancient Greece book, our protagonist had a stronger personal relationship with the villain. And this can be helpful when providing contrast, particularly if your villain is following a diverging character arc to your protagonist. And the villain may have even appeared to be the good guy at the beginning, but slowly deteriorates as the story continues. So I think that's kind of how the different relationships can play into it. How about you, Ashley? I was just going to comment that it's interesting, like, the different roles that the relationships can play, eliciting different effects um, yes. in your book, yeah. which is a very interesting thing to consider when you're writing your book, right? Like how do you want this relationship to affect the outcome? And you know, it's just very interesting. So many things at play. Yeah. I do think that if you have a more personal relationship, it's going to make the conflict more personal and hurt the character more deeply perhaps than if you have a less personal situation like you still have that conflict happen because you can still have like a wide variety of things that get into your protagonist's way but it it becomes more impersonal and can become a bit more like an evil force um, that they're battling rather than an actual person when you have it at a more impersonal level. So, you know, I think both ways can be effective. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's just different. It's It's different depending on what effect you want to achieve. Yes. Well, so for me, I think both from a specific like writing craft perspective and from a story perspective, it's really compelling. I think when you have the stories of the villains and the protagonists closely intertwined, like Sarah said, we do this, uh, more so in our ancient Greece book than in our YA. Although in the YA, like it depends what you're classing as the villain at the time of any given book. Yep. But generally speaking, and for when I'm reading books, I personally prefer it when their relationships are, you know, quite 
closely intertwined. I just find that it gives a really, well, it ramps up the tension between the characters and as the reader as well. You're like, uh oh, <laughs> like this is going to have some effects um, on this person's life or choices or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And obviously, it doesn't work in every story. Well, like I said, it's not something that we do as much for our When the Rain Falls book or that uh, Black Skies series. But I think when you can do it, um, it adds a really cool dynamic which you can play with and it does make it quite fun to write like in our ancient Greece I do like kind of writing those two characters it's it's very interesting uh, you know when you kind of know where their arc is going and get to explore that which is quite fun yeah so the second uh, characteristic of a compelling villain I thought we could talk about is the importance of how good of an adversary they are it seems really <laughs> superficial but I think it is you know it's gonna have it does have some importance to your book um what do you reckon Sarah yeah um I think you need the villain to be a challenge for your character if you make the villain too easy to beat then once again you end up with very little conflict and your character probably doesn't have to learn a heck of a lot about themselves and if then on the other end of the spectrum if you make it too hard for your character not only does your story turn exceptionally dark (laughs) but the theme and the moral of the story can sometimes be lost and there are exceptions to this as I found when writing my short story in horror the the protagonist does not always have to defeat the villain but my piece still had a moral theme though I didn't really think about it when I was writing that was actually enhanced by the protagonist's defeat. So you have to make sure if your protagonist does meet an untimely end at the hands of the villain, that there is a point to it. Um, Otherwise the reader is left feeling a bit melancholy and confused by the ending, I think. Bitter at you. You've done this to me. I was going to say one of our, uh, one of the people in our critique group has a massive bone to pick with one particular author about how they ended one of their series and she was like I hated it like she hates it so much she like hasn't gotten past it and she refuses to read that part again because it upset her so much (laughs) so I think that's pretty hilarious for me if we're talking about the villain being a good adversary I think the most important part is that they're balanced if that makes any sense they're not too weak they're not too strong they have strengths but they also have weaknesses that you know, the, the protagonist might not know that they have these weaknesses and it might appear that they are invincible to the protagonist at points in the story, but, you know, you've designed them to have these sort of, you know, something that yeah. the protagonist can exploit in order to gain victory, if that's the ending that you're going for. Because the last thing you want is your character or your story to require like an act of God to defeat the villain because oh, I hate it when stories do that. Like the accidental lightning strike and he dies and you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what was the point of the story if he just slips and falls down a cliff? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Deus ex machina. Yep. Don't want that. No, you don't want that. <laughs> yeah. You should be able to design a way that your character can defeat them using, you know, their own means rather than relying on some random external force that happens to get the right timing yeah uh, so that's that's sort of what I think about 
having your villain as a good adversary. And the third point I thought would be interesting to discuss is how important it is that your villain has some sort of morality. So this is kind of like the evil for evil's sake kind of debate. So yeah, what do you reckon, Sarah? Well, I can see what you're saying and I I totally understand that they must have some reasoning, but I think evil for the sake of evil, it can work, but only in a very limited setting and usually in horrors. You know, that's usually the type of story where it's like this supernatural evil force that the protagonist has to defeat and they might not necessarily have a reason behind the evil for that. But there's usually, with the evil, usually comes like a face or like a a character or something that is kind of born out of that evil, even if it's in like a supernatural horror kind of thing. And they often will have motives and a reason for how they got to where they are. So you do need to have a little bit of rationale and reasoning behind your villains. And usually there's something in particular that the villain wants, just like the protagonist wants something. And these are always conflicting wants, which cause the villain and the protagonist to come into conflict. And as I was kind of alluding to, the reasoning behind this is what makes them feel real. And to be clear, you know, what the villain wants, also depending on what type of story you're writing, is not necessarily a bad thing. But it seems bad to your protagonist because they can't both get what they want. And I think... You know, the old adage that every character is the protagonist in their own story kind of comes in to play here, where if you were telling the story from the point of your villain, it might seem like the protagonist is actually the villainous one. So they don't need to be evil for it to make an exciting story. I definitely, I agree. I don't, I don't really read horror books that much, so I can't really comment on the like role of just evil for evil as the sake, you know, the sake of being evil in those kind of books. But for books outside of that genre, which I do read a lot more frequently, (laughs) I think the whole question of morality does really stem from the motivations and backstory of your character, which we'll talk about later. So I'll kind of skip that and talk (laughs) a little bit because that's going to be quite a long discussion uh, and talk a bit more about morality, I guess, generally. So I always, like I've said, I feel villains that seem to just be evil and twisted just because they are, they really do fall flat with readers, at least with me personally. And I think you can make your character or your villain as evil and twisted as you want, really, just as long as the readers can understand like where this darkness has come from in the first place. So if, you know, if they can see, oh yeah, this makes sense how he got to doing whatever he's doing that's fine and that can be as yuck and twisted and creepy as you want it to be but I also think for me that villains should have some sort of limit if that makes sense like they're not just going to be perpetually becoming more and more and more and more evil unlimitedly like I feel like in the villains that are like the most effective there's something in them that kind of like they do have some sort of standard, whatever that may be in their twisted mind. Like you might have some sort of 
serial killer, for example. He's slaughtering people left, right, and center, but he never harms dogs because he had one as a child and that is you know he has a connection with them so he won't harm them you know that kind of thing where there's something as like a solid post in their life that kind of gives them some sort of (laughs) moral standard no matter how twisted and weird that might be just something that makes them I guess gives them some humanity I suppose is what I'm trying to say so I don't know if that makes any sense it it does make sense and I know that some people might think that that's a bit backwards like why would you give your villain humanity but I kind of think it draws a little bit back to so it's similar to when you're creating the start of your story where you've got a fairly normal you're creating the norm of what things are going and then once establishing the norm then you kind of let little things go wrong and make things kind of a bit like ah something's not quite right here I feel like it's similar to that whereas if you have a villain that at least has a few redeeming qualities that it almost makes it creepier because you realize like you were kind of talking about before that oh my god like this could really happen like this person didn't really intend to become as evil as they Mm -hmm. are but oh my god like what they're doing is horrendous right versus this just total evil force yeah so I I think that's why it becomes effective because it makes them more relatable but then also makes the extremes of their behavior more terrifying yes definitely yeah because I do like it when you know you have the villain or the bad guy elicit that response and you're like oh that's that makes me uncomfortable (laughs) yeah definitely okay and so I mentioned just before that a lot of these questions of morality and why they're evil and how to make your villains feel realistic a lot of it comes from the motivations and backstory that you've given your villain Um, so I thought we could have a talk about how we go about crafting realistic motivations and backstory and why it's so important when you're creating your villain yeah so you know this is a little bit related to the last question but you know I'm again bringing conflict back into it so conflicting wants with your protagonist is key because with each party doing everything and anything to have things end up in their favor but you know the question is how do you make this realistic you've got to put a good deal of thought into why your character wants what they want so their backstory brings them to where they are in the story and provides motivation for your character And you've probably done this with your protagonist, but you also have to think about your villain in this way. So what do they want? Why do they want it? What events led them to this point? Doing this makes your villain less like a basic archetype because you want the villain to seem dangerous and hell-bent on wreaking destruction in your protagonist's life. And a villain who doesn't have a strong backstory often ends up, to me, feeling very much like a stereotype which doesn't really have a great impact and I don't think anyone really wants their readers thinking kind of like yawn I've seen this before (laughs) they have a fight the protagonist wins even though you know 99% of the time this is what actually happens (laughs) you don't (laughs) want your reader thinking that like yeah I've seen this before so 
To make the stakes seem real to the reader, the villain must seem real, which means they need to be a rounded character in their own right. What would you have to say on that, Ashley? I was going to make a comment about them being a rounded character because I think it's really important like that they are a character who often was born slash created, I will say, by some person slash force or something which is similar to your protagonist and because they're so important you really should treat your villain as you do treat your protagonist when you're creating them because I guess so villains don't exist in a vacuum and then I was thinking about it and I was like oh sometimes villains just like pop up you know like when it's like some sort of supernatural force but then usually they're like created for a reason or they they have some sort of like primal purpose within them which then comes through so I was like I guess it kind of fits anyways Sorry, that was just a tangent. Anyways, well, <laughs> if we can carry on that tangent, like I, you know, it's kind of what I said a lot earlier about the um the overarching villain having like minions, and I still feel feel like you need to like put yourself in the minions' shoes a little bit and be like, okay, so this guy's working for the bad guy. Like, why is he working for the bad guy? Or you know, if they've just been created, then how are they feeling about being created on the wrong side or um, they might not know that they're on the wrong side, but you know, like what is driving these minions and how can I make them terrifying? Because if you just like plant them in, then you end up with like a very similar effect of like, Oh, here's another like random bad guy. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, sorry, continue. No, it's fine. It kind of reminds me of, you know, like when you have video games and your character dies and like respawns, just like another villain. Bloop, there he is. <laughs> Dropped into the universe. Anyways, and because your villain is a character like your protagonist and your protagonist has events that have happened to them in the past who have shaped them into who they are now, it's really important that you think about your villain in the same way. So what happened in the past of your villain's life to make them who they are? What are their values? What are their morals? Um, and this will help you, you know, provide evidence and things that support their motivations to make them feel realistic. You know, if their domination, if their domination, <laughs> if their motivation is world domination, um, you better have a pretty good reason as to why that is their goal that, you know, doesn't fall flat with the readers. And I was going to bring up how we actually did have a really hard think about our villain in the black sky series because we did go back and we had you know quite a hard think about his motivations because i guess when we read it back this is quite a few edits and when we read it and when my husband beta read for me he also was kind of like it just feels something feels wrong about this like it wasn't sitting well with him and we kind of kind of agreed that his the motivations just weren't quite right if that makes (laughs) any sense I did feel very weak. Yeah, it just wasn't strong enough. I feel like it it made him the, the main villain seem more like a delusional, unbalanced man. And which is <laughs> yeah. it's it's okay, but like he had no reason for getting there. Do you know what I mean? And like yeah. you can have crazy characters, but I, I feel it's a lot stronger to have a character with like a actual reason behind it rather than like just some weird crazy person. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. No. And so we made these we made these changes quite late. I think it was even after we'd sent it away to a few people as well that we kind of went back and we're like, no, we need to really nail this down. 
yeah and just get this right because it's really important it's like what your whole story hinges on so you don't want someone questioning it within like the first five chapters being like is this really what happened like I don't know (laughs) yeah I don't know how this sits with me so if you're still in the editing stages or even nearing the end it's okay to rewrite some of your villain to make him a more compelling character we did yes we did And I would give you a bit of comfort that it doesn't necessarily have to change your entire book. No. There are going to be a lot of things where like, I would suggest you read through very thoroughly if you're changing the motivations of your villain, because it may change like small pieces that you hadn't really thought of, but it's still, it doesn't necessarily change the entire arc of the book. No. It's just Not always you're making it just a bit stronger. Yeah. yeah. And often it's more highlighting things that you hadn't kind of brought to the forefront earlier. They were, often the pieces are there. They just need to be either like shown in a different light or kind of brought to the surface. So your reader identifies those sort of as like pillars <laughs> to your villain rather than kind of just sprinkling stuff in kind of more weakly, I guess. Yeah. All right. So this kind of brings us to the writing tips part. So do we have any tips for writing a good villain? So, um, you know, I had some questions before that you definitely want to answer, which is what do they want? Why do they want it? And what is their backstory? I also think that you can play with twisting their perspective, um, especially if your villain is more personally related to your protagonist. So people often want things for what they think is a noble reason, but they are actually fooling themselves and feeding both themselves and others excuses when really their desire is selfishly driven. Or a villain's actions might have started out as well-intended, but their plans have fallen through and snowballed, leaving the villain to try to fix things and when you're shaping your villain, usually they try and fix things the wrong way. Um, and that's kind of what ends up going on that downward spiral. And yeah, so back to another point that I've already mentioned is what the protagonist wants must be in opposition to what the villain wants. Um, I feel like for me, this part is non-negotiable. Uh, if it's not in opposition, then again, you don't have really a conflict or a story. You know, it, even if it doesn't seem this way at the beginning, like they might seem like they're getting along well. You want the same things in life. Everything's going well. Yeah, it may not end up that way down the end, down the track. And lastly is that there is usually an overarching villain but do be aware that roles can change as the story progresses. So the person who started out as the villain may not be the true villain who reveals themselves later in the story. So kind of consider who the villain actually is in the story. Like even, you know, you might have two at different points of time, but one's probably going to be a bit of a stronger sort of overarching villain. Mm-hmm. and one might end up being lovely at the end who knows <laughs> how about you Ashley what are your tips uh so my first one was very similar to yours and that's just really nailing down those motivations and backstory at the start because as we discovered like yes you can 
rewrite the motivations of your villain later and it can totally work but it is it is a lot of work and you know when you change stuff in the story it's always hard to go back and make sure you haven't contradicted yourself and then Sarah has to read it through and then I have to read it through and then Sarah has to read it through again and <laughs> it's fine but it's just you know one of those things um it's better if you do it right the first time as we have learned from experience <laughs> yes For me, like I kind of mentioned earlier, I do like it when the villain has some sort of quality that gives him or her or it some sort of sympathy at some point in the book so that you connect more with it. And then it kind of makes it a lot more creepy when they become whatever they become. Um, I think it's more realistic as well because no one's ever just, you know, you don't ever just 100% hate someone usually. Good or bad, black or white. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's always something that, you know, you can sympathize with or some sort of redeeming quality that makes them seem at least more realistic in your novel. My third point was kind of more like technically writing, I guess. So I, my point was description. And I think description can be used so well with your villain to get you know that really good clear picture in your mind of what this person is it can also help you know evoke the desired reactions from your reader because you know word choice around your villain as to their actions and to their voice and their mannerisms is really important when you're trying to create the persona and the image of the villain in the reader's mind so that would be my last tip description Mm. As a final point, because I enjoyed doing this last time when we talked about creating relationships and how we talked about some of the cliche relationship things that we that annoyed us. I thought we could have a little chat about the cliche villain things that annoy us because it's quite funny. So I thought we could quickly cover that before we move on to mistakes of the month. Yeah. So for me, it's like I don't don't like the stereotypical bad guys who are all brawn and no brain. <laughs> and often no backstory. <laughs> but then I was the, also the three Bs. <laughs> yeah. Brawn, no brains, no backstory. Also thinking like when the villain is a woman, usually it's like a really sexy woman who's like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. In her red heels and her black dress. Yes. Whip in hand now, I'm kidding. <laughs> they don't need to be like that. And I personally don't find that scary because, you know, it's just not very realistic. But villains that barely put up a fight, again, no conflict. <laughs> and I hate it when the protagonists are too perfect. It's like, oh, my God, I'll just whip out my special power and boom, the villain's gone. You're like, you've built us up this whole story. <laughs> There's no fight. I kind of. I feel like it's okay for the villain to, to have a long speech about how amazing they are before killing the protagonist if it's done right. Um, <laughs> what's not okay in this scene is where the protagonist actually stays long enough to listen, particularly <laughs> if, the, if someone's dying and needs help. If you want to have a classic villain speech in I would suggest trapping your protagonist so they have to listen because I remember one book that I read where they were in a fire, people were dying, and the protagonist is just casually having a discussion with the villain about the whole (laughs) ins and outs of the villain's plan. And this sort of situation really doesn't ring true to me. Like, the place is on fire. fire. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, 
it's the whole place is burning down and you need to be finding a way to get out and there's people dying and then you're just like but why why did you do it (laughs) why did you light the fire (laughs) so you know they can have that conversation later or if they are like trapped in the fire then the they need to be like you know trying to get out desperately as the villain villains like you can't get out. This is my evil plan. Ha ha ha. And Relay's plan. Um, rather than the protagonist like standing there having a debate with the villain. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. But yeah, so those are kind of my pet pet peeves. I think there's a couple that Ashley mentioned, which I'll expand on as well. But yes. that's all right. You can go first. <laughs> my main one is cliche dialogue, like the yes. say goodbye to blah. I am blah, blah, blah. I'm here to do this. My favorite one is, you know, like the the shaking fist. <laughs> this isn't <laughs> over. <laughs> it just the- makes him kind of, um, I feel it makes him a bit cartoonish. Yeah. it Yeah, it does really have <laughs> cartoon, cartoon vibes. Very like Kim Possible-esque vibes when I think about that. <laughs> <laughs> the other one for me is evil laughs, which I can't stand. <laughs> it just makes me laugh so much well yeah it takes you out of it but you're also nah. like you're like would they laugh though like i don't know <laughs> so those are my those are my two big ones that i yeah if they do laugh have them laugh in a more realistic manner yeah like, i don't even know what that would be but sniggering at something i don't or at least I don't, don't have know. them laugh in the in the climax moment you know like yeah <laughs> you can have them laugh previously because i've done that in like our ancient greece book like they they laugh but it's not like an evil laugh it's just like it's normal it just comes across normal yeah unless i was like unless your villain has this weird like laughing tick which could then be like used to, to like creep you out later but you'd have to like play the long game with that <laughs> cliche villains they're so funny but yeah they you, are. I don't feel like you really want that in your no. book no I actually I did a tiny bit of research I admit to like work out what my because I was like I know I have lots of these of these yeah. like things that annoy me about villains but I w- was struggling to think of like especially dialogue and stuff and so I like looked up and there was like a reddit thread of someone who was like I want to make my villain um, have a bit of a humorous side. So what are some cliches that like can be kind of funny? And oh no, I was kind of like, these are funny, but at the same time, I probably wouldn't put any in my book just because <laughs> I, yeah, I just feel like it doesn't make them feel real and brings you out of the book somewhat. So just be aware of that, even when trying to create a humorous situation be wary <laughs> be very wary yes go back and read it later maybe yeah check it's not oh dear all right should we move on to mistakes of the month yep all right did you want to go first sarah sure they're not hugely obvious mistakes this time but yeah you know sometimes that's what mistakes are like so <laughs> yeah. one that i had was I see them, someone yelled from the front. The crowd pressed forward, though the gate remained shut. And the reason why this was a mistake of the month was because 
The gates are very large gates and you can't see through them. So I don't know what this person at the front of the crowd was talking about when they're probably smushed up against this massive gate. (laughs) So I, you know, later had to redo that and change it like a guard on the other side of the wall. Oh, right. That they see them or something. (laughs) Okay. My next one was, she stopped and faced Simon, her dark eyes blazing, the wind lifting the unkept strands of her blonde hair. And first glance, there is nothing wrong with the sentence. And this is being fairly picky, but unkept, this is a bit of a strange word there. I think what I meant was unkempt. Yes. I mean, it basically <laughs> means the same thing, but at the same time, unkept hair. It's like, and that makes me think it's, it's like a step beyond unkempt. Almost. Yeah. Where it kind like, of makes me think like they've got a wig which they don't <laughs> keep on them. <laughs> where they like keep it do- they don't keep it in this like proper space. It's just like in a box and they like pop it on and it's it's been it's more thinking it was like I don't know, to me like unkempt just like, you know, a few strands. Unkept might be like an entire bird's nest kind of situation <laughs> going on. <laughs> like they haven't even tried. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That's just how the words come across for me. And I was like, mm, I don't think I quite yeah, meant no. that. <laughs> no, I just missed an M. <laughs> Anyways, what's your mistakes of the month? This month, it's not my mistake, which is, you know, a change from the norm. But so I started reading a novel called Bird Song by Sebastian Falks. It's quite a well-known like World War One novel, kind of literary, but I've been enjoying it. However, I opened it and on page one, line five in the second sentence, there was a mistake. And I, was, I couldn't believe it. I like read it like three times. I was like, nope, definitely a mistake. So it, I'll read you what it was. Um, it's a grammar error, but I'll explain when we get to it. So the sentence was, wagons that rolled in from Lille and Arras to the north made directly to the tanneries and mills of the St. Lou quarter without full stop lowercase n, needing to use the rutted lady road. Oh, yeah, lady road. So there's like a random full stop in the middle of the sentence, like right next to the word needed and needed obviously isn't capitalized. And I was just like, what even is this? I don't even know. I assume it was meant to be a comma, but it's also in the wrong, like, I guess it should be beside the without, but I don't even know if it was supposed to have a I don't punctuation think it should in have there at all. Punctuation in there. I think they just probably missed it. I'm like, how do you miss that though? Like it stands out so much because it's also like in the formatting, it's the start of a new line. So it's just like Mm. without space and then new line dot needing. And I'm like, I don't understand (laughs) that you open it and it's all you can see. So clearly not the editor. (laughs) Clearly. No, editor didn't see it. No one apparently looked at page one. So also, I mean, I don't have the, I don't have the context but Liddy just sounds like a wrong word to <laughs> rutted Liddy Road. Like I'm assuming that it means that there's like lots of lead on this road. I don't know. But it's set in 1910. I don't know if that helps. <laughs> are, there, are there roads of lead? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's, I was just, yeah. And as a, obviously we've self-published but before that I was always paranoid that I'd open my thesis and on page one there would be a mistake and that was always the joke they're like oh, I've seen a mistake on page one so I've always been paranoid about that and I was like oh my gosh this actually happened to this person 
this author mistake on page one in the second sentence so that was my mistake of the month everyone makes mistakes maybe yes. try not to have it on page one yeah it has redeemed itself since then I haven't found another mistake but that was quite a big one <laughs> it's funny I feel like it was a book that I was reading I can't remember what book it was it was a writing book of some sort but I was like that's my worst nightmare is to make a writing book and have a mistake in it yeah here's my book on writing telling you how to write but oops here's a whole bunch of grammar oh, mistakes shoot. some wrong words clearly didn't follow our own advice <laughs> anyways <laughs> right should we wrap this up yes we should so if you would like to be on our author spotlight interview series then please head over to our website at lindersoncreations.com hover your mouse over the podcast tab in the main menu and it'll give you a drop down to be featured on Dear Writer. And next time on Dear Writer, it's one of our culturing creativity episodes. So that should have some sort of interesting discussion about ways that we can promote creativity in our lives. And if you'd like to know any more about us or any of our writing projects, you can visit lindersoncreations.com or get in touch with us on Facebook uh, or Instagram under the handle Lindison Creation. If you enjoy the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. Tell your friends about us and we'll be back next week. Happy writing, everyone. <laughs>